Welcome into the latest Daily Wager Extra podcast to recap week two on this Sunday night. I am Doug Kazarian. Obviously, we launched this a week ago. A little different twist this Sunday night. You don't have to just listen to me talking and running my mouth. We have a guest this week, and it's someone you've heard us mention a few times on Daily Wager and uh, a previous guest on the Behind the Bets podcast. Uh, it is our researcher extraordinaire, Mackenzie Kramer. How are you, Mac? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, another great football Sunday, the best time of the year. A little slow start for the 1 o'clock games, but 4 o'clock games are really exciting, and then Ravens-Chiefs, that's pretty much all you could ask for in a Sunday night game. Well, I could have asked for more like a cover because that was my best bet of the day. It, was a, it wasn't a bloodbath for the public like last Sunday was. I had just got a text from an odds maker. Basically, the Ravens winning outright saved them from a losing day. And we had talked about it throughout the week in just terms of kind of the culmination of the game, right? Like the most heavily bet game was the Sunday night game, and obviously the public was all over the Chiefs. And the line didn't really move. Got to four. But that's about as high as it went. So I was a little surprised there. But I guess not too much having seen the game. I guess taking a step away before we get into this Ravens-Chiefs breakdown and the exciting finish. The story of week one, McKenzie, was dogs barking 12-4, and four, including nine outright. So 12-4 and four against the spread. And then obviously Thursday night, Washington wins. Excuse me, wins but does not cover. So 13-4 ATS. How did Sunday pan out? It was another great day for the underdogs this week. Nine and six against the spread this week so far. We're now up to 21 and 10 against the spread for the underdogs in the week. Um, especially if you look at the road dogs. The road dogs have been really good this year. 13 and four against the spread. Another six and two this week. I've been on a lot of the home dogs this week, so I was on the wrong side of that. But <laughs> if you just have been blindly taking road dogs this year, you'd be having a really good year. Yeah, 13 and four, just to recap what you just mentioned. Talking to the odds makers I've talked to, the, the public sides that cashed. Broncos was a big one. Obviously, we know that number steamed from about three and a half to six. The Bills, although that came down, it came down to three, but Tua getting hurt made it a one-side game, 35-zip. Patriots, another one, like the Broncos, steamed up from three and a half to six, six and a half, even some teaser legs as well. So those were the big popular ones in terms of the, the cutoffs, but the other ones, not so much, including the Chiefs tonight. Yeah, I mean, if you look at some of the most popular bet sides, like you said, uh, but, but Cleveland, Arizona, and Seattle did not cover for the public. So the, the book's got a couple of nice wins there. Like you mentioned with the Chiefs, 89% of the tickets were on Kansas City, 73% of the money. I thought that two-point conversion when they went for it from the seven-yard line might uh, have a big impact on the closing line, but uh, we had a lot more scoring to go after that. So it ended up not coming yeah. into play at all. Given it was so early in the fourth quarter, Quarter, I thought it was a bad decision from the seven half yard line just because you in a high scoring game you had a feeling there'd be other ways to kind of make up that difference but it ended up working out because Harbaugh gambled and the right way I I had a problem with the spot on third down going into fourth down it should have been like fourth and two two and a half but they made it fourth and one either way that was the right call people to this day that I really respect like intelligent people Still think Belichick, what he did 15 years ago against the Colts was crazy. And I've tried to articulate that live betting market shifted and was telling him he's wrong. And tonight, the live betting market was shifting to KC before people realized Baltimore was going for it. But Kansas City, as soon as they got the stop and getting the ball back, they became the favorite. 
Yeah, I know our win probability model, we had an 80.5% chance for the Ravens to win if they went for it, and a 78.6% chance to win if they punted. So about a 1.9% difference there. I saw NFL Next Gen stats tweeted out even bigger discrepancy between punting and going for it, but everybody, all the analytics agree that going for it was the right move, and now the Chiefs are 2-11 and ATS in the last 13 games. Yeah, just remarkable. But just to, just to reiterate, they were favored, so that's obviously a, a larger discrepancy. Now, again, a couple sites here and there with the live market and the decision back 15 years ago, Colts Patriots, I think they took a timeout or something. So there was more time for the live betting to mature, if you will, in those couple minutes rather than like a split second. But yeah, it's remarkable what the Chiefs have done. Normally they've been winning except for the Super Bowl. And then of course, tonight they were wins, but not covers. This one was an outright loss. And you just wonder this defense. Now, obviously, Baltimore has a different kind of rushing attack and things like that. But Mahomes with the costly interception, I hated Andy Reid getting way too conservative and then that ultimately led to the fumble. Don't run plays you like you don't normally do. He, you should be attacking downfield because you don't want to. You want to milk clock yourself. So really a questionable uh, play calling for a guy who is willing to do the intelligent thing and live outside the box like he threw a pass after Mahomes was hurt in the playoff game last year. Uh, was it Henny was the quarterback? I forget who it was. But doing intelligent stuff like that is what Andy Reid does. The unconventional, I guess, is the best way to put it. But. I don't know. I, I had an issue with the play calls there on the rushing, but oh well, it was a fun game. The one coaching question I have for you is, did you think that the Ravens should have allowed the Chiefs to score late? Because I saw that that was a debate that was going on in a lot of gambling Twitter down the stretch was, should Baltimore have let Kansas City score, go down by eight and, and have a chance to win that way? Obviously, it didn't matter once Edwards Hilaire fumbled, but what did you think of that the whole debate? That thought did cross my mind. I wasn't on Twitter at the time because I was working all the mice, I guess, for my laptops. But I was that thought briefly crossed my mind when I was thinking about overs and unders because there was like a minus 700 on some under some ridiculous number. So I was trying to think of all the scenarios. And I think if they had gotten like a 20 yard chunk play, then that's when you do it. But inside of 20 yards, that's the 20 yard line. I should say that's when it becomes a gimme. And Bucker, you know, he's he's not Tucker. Right. But he's close to it. I think 20-yard line, because your offense, like Lamar Jackson, I mean, it's not really a down-the-field attack, aerial attack. So you would need, like, two minutes to do kind of some crazy stuff and get the two-point conversion. So I, w- I would have probably played it, obviously, I would have played it tight until the about the 15-yard line. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I just, I just like to get your thoughts on these things because I know that you're big into uh, debating a lot of these coaching moves, whether it's Matt Rule punting for the sure. 33-yard line. I sure, I'm sure we might touch on what Houston did today. I don't know yeah, if you saw so, uh, that punt. So, so last week, I thought we had the gold standard. Like I was working on printing out a copy of one and getting it like framed. And now the week, all it took was a week later to have an even more impressive decision with Stefanski just shaking his head perplexed why Houston was declining the penalty and choosing to punt fourth and two. So, yeah, yeah just to backtrack. So I get this right. It was third and 12. They got – or third and 10. They got an eight-yard gain, but then there was a penalty on the defense. Houston declined it. This is all at midfield, by the way. Third and 15, by the way. Okay, and so they got third and 15, yards. they get 13 yards. So Houston, instead of taking a five-yard penalty and going for it third and 10 around midfield, they chose to – Decline it and punt fourth and two. Insane. Yeah, I mean, and then it, yeah, it's one of the worst decisions you could possibly imagine. I can't imagine. I mean, you 13 yards of field position when you're punting really does not matter, especially when you're a team like the Houston Texans, which should have nothing to lose, but maybe they're trying to tank early, especially after uh, getting the week one win. Yeah, perhaps. So crazy night. Raiders and Denver Broncos are in first place at 2-0. Chiefs and Chargers are not, just like we all expected. 
after two games. The NFC West continues to be impressive. Arizona gets the good end of a field goal miss. They stay undefeated. So a lot of games to shake out. I guess we can just go down through the list. We already know what happened Thursday. Giants played really well. The whole offsides thing gave Washington another crack at the field goal, and Hopkins makes it, but the Giants get the cover. As for today, Jaguars are pretty bad. Uh, It's not going to be solved overnight just because you bring in someone who's succeeded at the college level and you get the number one overall pick and a star quarterback and a generational QB doesn't mean it's solved overnight. Now, granted, playing the Broncos is tough, but playing the Texans isn't, and the Jaguars are going to be a heavily bet-against team. Yeah, we all thought the Texans were the worst team in the NFL entering the season. But when they went, they beat Jacksonville in week one. And after what Jacksonville also did against Denver, they they pretty much staked the claim as the worst team in the NFL, though. The, the Jets are also in that conversation, too. But, yeah, so my, I think my favorite stat from that game was LaVisca Chenault had seven targets and he got negative three yards out of it. So <laughs> a really rough day for the Jaguars. But uh, another another cover for our boy Teddy Bridgewater. Bridgewater. Yeah, so- what are we at? Let's crunch some more numbers for the all-time cover percentage QB in NFL history. Yeah, so Teddy Bridgewater, in the regular season, he is now 37-14 and 14 against the spread in his career. But on the road, he is 23-3 and three against the spread, which is absolutely unbelievable. And usually catching points. Today, he was laying points. But that is, that's really incredible. When the market is as tight as it is now, I mean, how is it just so one-sided? Now, with that Saints run he had... When Breeze was out for about eight, nine weeks, I know the Sharps were pounding against him. And guys like Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara just kind of carried the, the offense with him. And he was he was a game manager, so to speak, probably a more advanced game manager. But, I mean, outperforming the market like this is pretty ridiculous. It's like what Belichick and Brady did for so long. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because Denver was the only team in the NFL last year to be an underdog in every single game uh, last year. Now they've been favored in back-to-back games. They covered both. Um, and next week they play the Jets at home for their home opener. They're 11-point favorites. Bridgewater has never been that big of a favorite in his life, or at least in the NFL. So first chance at it. I'm going to venture into the yes, he will. Yes, he can because he covers every single game. Uh, real quick on the Jaguars because we thought the Texans were the tanking team and were going to be awful a couple years ago, and then they won like six games. You're the resident Jets fan here. What did they win, like six games the year? Everyone thought they were going to be the worst and go 0-16? I believe that they were four and twelve that year. Though I'm not 100 okay. percent sure off the top of my head. They've they've had so many bad years over the last ten years. Right. They all, they all blend together. together. Uh, another public side was Buffalo, and then Tua gets hurt early. This thing is turns into just a complete beatdown. Josh Allen, we ran the the ATS record today, so he's now 12 four and one ATS on the road. Now a lot of that was as a dog when people didn't realize how talented he is and how good this Buffalo team is. But still, another uh, you had to expect the Bills were going to bounce back. Uh, I mean, you had to expect that. Of course, I put the Dolphins in the column this week getting three and a half. So that was pretty much dead on arrival, down 14 nothing early. Then Tua gets hurt. Good game, me. Um, I am a little worried about Josh Allen, though, because his accuracy does seem a little bit off in the first two games. I mean, today he was only 17 for 33 passing. Last week he wasn't all that great against Pittsburgh. I don't think it's cause for concern yet, especially after he was so good last year. But we know that accuracy was a problem for him coming out of college. So I'm a little I'm a little interested to watch Josh Allen over the next few weeks to see uh, if he can get it together. Because, I mean, he was fine today. He's still a great running quarterback, but he's not been passing the ball like he was last year. It's funny you mention this because I did a radio hit in the late afternoon games, like halftime ish. And someone asked me, one of the hosts asked me about Josh Allen. I was like, what do you mean? Like, he's awesome. He's an MVP candidate. He's top five coming in like. Bills are a Super Bowl threat. Like, what am I missing here? I didn't realize his accuracy or whatever it may be has been off. I'm not worried big picture. He was a stud last year. He's fine. He's got a cannon. He played the Steelers, who actually had T.J. Watt, unlike today. 
when they played the Raiders. So I'm not too worried about Allen. I mean, it was just kind of a the game was just got away from Miami. Yeah, I tend to agree. I'm not really worried yet, but I do think it's something to monitor in the weeks ahead. Another quarterback injury, Tyrod Taylor had to leave the game. Houston was flirting at least for a little bit with an upset here. Could have blown up some eliminator pools, but Davis Mills, Stanford product. But Cleveland kind of answered some couple deficits, got back on track. Obviously, that rushing attack is potent, and Baker Mayfield took care of business. But the Texans, a double-digit dog, do get the cover. Yeah, Texans are 2-0 against the spread this year. Tyrod, obviously, uh, he started the game, so he gets the – cover or not cover in our, you know, in our official database. Tyron's now covered seven straight games as a starter. Um, I mean, he's been playing very well for them this year. I mean, they were doing well, as, but I just think that they're, they've been a little bit feisty this year. The offensive line's held up a little bit better than I thought that they would. I, I But with Davis Mills, I think that's, that's a fade team going forward. Hence Carolina next week. Carolina's a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the on the look-ahead line. I saw they're now like a seven-point favorite against yeah. David Mills. I think that that's definitely a fair move. I jumped on that look-ahead line. Something else I also jumped on last week, which I, I kind of – well, I thought it was a good bet until I saw what happened in the Tennessee game, but I, I actually took Texans an 18-1 to one to win the division on Saturday just, just for a small fun bet just because I looked at that division entering this week and I thought it was – I thought the winner might get seven games, seven wins this year, but uh, with Tennessee winning today, they look pretty good. I mean, Indianapolis with another quarterback injury there to uh, Carson Wentz. That the whole division looks pretty rough. But if Tyrod can't play, that bet's pretty dead. I mean, it's probably dead anyway, but, you know, I'll have a little bit of fun with it. I couldn't fault you for that, given the division. And kind of reminds me of the movie Major League when there was uh, just a bunch of misfits and rallying against and almost like the Velcro thing. But when you have a coach who's choosing to punt instead of go for it on third and 10 at midfield or, or third, yeah, third and 10, that'd be a, that, that's not a good sign. But can't fault you. 18 to 1 is still 18 to 1. You mentioned the Colts. Let's get to that game too. Rams get another win. Look, Colts got a block punt. Rams answered every challenge, did not get the cover. This one line was a little inflated. I knew some sharps on the Colts side. Indy does, in fact, get the cover when it looks like the Rams were going to run away with it or at least win comfortably. Carson Wentz injured, as you mentioned. What's the prognosis here? I mean, I think that I think that that's a big loss if Carson Wentz is out going forward. I mean, he's not great, but from what we've so seen. He's supposed to be out? I mean, we don't know. I know I know that the, the bookmakers haven't put, posted a line because of uh, Wentz's status. I don't really know if he's going to be playing next week. I mean, it's a little bit too early to tell. I haven't seen anything concrete either way. But I think that if he's out, that that would be a pretty big loss for them. And I'm curious how the Colts look against non-NFC West teams. We've They've had the Seahawks and the Rams the first two weeks. And they're just a weird team on paper. They're a team that, on, that you would think is built around the defense and the offensive line, that running game. But the offensive line's been mediocre. The defense hasn't been great. So it's I'm not really sure what the Colts do that well as a team today, though. I thought Wentz looked pretty good other than throwing an interception on the shovel pass. Yeah, on the goal line, mind you. It is worth mentioning where, where it happened. He did seem a little erratic and kind of happy feet, but he made some plays. His athleticism, his willingness to kind of get think outside the box and get creative extended the play and did create some good things as well as bad things. To me, he's not the answer. Uh, but to your point, the defense was supposed to be solid, hasn't, but they've also faced Matthew Stafford and Russell Wilson. So two solid quarterbacks and teams to start. So we'll see how it unfolds in that bad division. But obviously them and the Titans. So the Titans did go into Seattle, down 14 in the fourth quarter, somehow come back and win in overtime. They even had to punt. Russell Wilson and company didn't do anything. There was an overturned thing, Julio Jones touchdown that should have not have been overturned but was. The officiating has been awful, by the way, 
in a, in a handful of games, not just in the NFL, but in college. It's been really head-scratching things, and there's got to be a better way to do some of this, whether it be spotting the ball stuff and things in the reviews and all that. But uh, I guess that's a convo for another day. What about the um, Seahawks-Titans? Is that the biggest dog to win outright? Uh, yeah, this week. Uh, well, this week, this they were the yeah, there were six and a half point dogs, largest upset this week. It's tied with uh, Steelers Bills last week as the largest upset of the season. Uh, you mentioned that they were down uh, 14 points. The Titans were lo- as long as nine to one at the live money line at Caesars. I saw them tweet that out. Uh, I'm, I, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but I'm curious what the Titans division odds will be after this week. They get the Colts at home next week. The Jaguars look like a dumpster fire. The Texans look like a dumpster fire. The Colts have an injured quarterback. Like they could be pretty prohibitive favorites for uh, to win the division, especially if they get, get the win next week. It's funny. I'm going to be starting content for ESPN.com's chalk section, which you obviously contribute to with Survivor Pools, and you mentioned some of the picks in the picks column. It's like the futures market on Tuesdays, and you know, pounding the pavement. I, I have some ideas for MVP, but division odds, and actually that was one of the division odds that I had in the back of my mind for this Tuesday is just the Titans. Is it time to strike on a team like this? Because usually you don't want to back a team off a big win with all the attention, but you wonder, because of the injuries, what the price is. And I'm not obviously worried about the Jags or Texans. Other games that stood out. How about we go straight to a game that I was high on, Raiders-Steelers. The Raiders are competent now. They have not been competent for a long, long time. This was a situation I thought they would completely fold. And keep in mind, the first quarter, they fumbled on back-to-back plays near midfield. Steelers had all the opportunity to take the ball and and make it, make it you know, t- dominate the game from there. But then T.J. Watt's injury, obviously Devin Bush was a late scratch, as was Hayden. So that changed things because if you can't get pressure on Carr, he's going to pick you apart and take the what Dan Orlovsky likes to call the easy throws underneath, move the sticks, Waller's always open, and then use the running back out of the backfield because Drake was there, but Jacobs was not. It was a beautifully called game, but the Steelers weren't getting any pressure because they didn't have their front four, their usual front four. It was a very disappointing effort for the Steelers. This happens sometimes. They tend to play down to their opponent, but maybe the Raiders are just better than they are. I think we have to start thinking along those lines that the Steelers are not that great, and the and the you know Raiders are on the come, so to speak. I mean, you mentioned Dark Horse MVP candidates. I mean, what Derek Carr has been, the numbers Derek Carr has been putting up so far have been unbelievable. I mean, I don't know if the Raiders can keep this up either. I've never been all that high on Derek Carr, but I have to give him credit. He, he was phenomenal today. That, that deep pass to Henry Ruggs was, was, was a, a perfect throw. Uh, I mean, the Ravens, Raiders play the Dolphins next week. The look-ahead line on that was a pick em. It's Raiders minus four right now. Obviously, that has a lot to do with Tua injury, but that also kind of shows the, how much the market uh, is – might be starting to respect the Raiders, especially after a game like this. Well, Brissett, Brissett might be better than Tua, let's be honest, uh, at yeah. least for one game. Obviously, Tua's upside is higher, his ceiling. And we, we saw a crazy game last year on the Saturday night around the holidays between these two teams at the Big Al. I, I, I will say this about Carr. Before anyone like shoots that down, he was the MVP a handful of years ago before he broke his back. The Raiders were on their way to a one seed. As crazy as that sounds, I know it sounds like an eternity ago, but – much like when Carson Wentz got hurt late in the season, those guys are a shell of themselves, and, and now we're seeing it from Carr, but they were actually the MVP frontrunners back then. So it's crazy to think, and I'm a Raider fan. I still can't believe it. But the Raiders looked good, and the defense played well. And we saw that tonight with the Chiefs, uh, what they were unable to do to that Ravens offense, right? That pass rush took advantage of a, uh, some, an adequate Baltimore offensive line, created a lot of pressure on Lamar Jackson, had three fumbles, lost two of them last week. Chiefs couldn't do that. 
So there's something to be said about that Raiders pass rush as well. Yeah, I mean, you look, and even if you look at the Steelers running game today, this, the Steelers had zero rushing yards before contact today. So that means that Ben has to carry everything with that offense. And Deontay Johnson also got hurt in the final play of the game. I don't know what his status is going to be going forward, but oh, they might right. have to rely even more on Ben going forward, which that could be a problem because I don't know if Ben can handle it at, at his age. Two more early games, kind of what we expected, although one was an underdog dominating, but there was such a popular chic play amongst sharps was the Panthers catching points at home. Jameis Winston and the Saints obviously looked great at quote-unquote home in Jacksonville, but it's a lot to ask, especially when they're worried about you know on the home front what's going on with all the uh, hurricane aftermath, so to speak, in, in the city of New Orleans. But, you know, I didn't catch much of this game, but everyone was on the Panthers. The number came down. This played out perfectly like public like Saints, sharps like the Panthers. Yeah, I mean, the one trend that I was looking into this week was uh, divisional underdogs early in the season typically do really well. This week, that wasn't really the case, but Carolina was one of the ones that hit. Uh, I mean, honestly, I watched a lot of them play last week because, like you said, I'm a Jets fan. They look really good to me. I mean, the front seven on defense, they have a lot of good players up there. They got Hayson Reddick. You got Brian Burns. You got a couple other guys up front who are really good. They put a ton of pressure on Jameis Winston today. Sam Darnold looks a lot better with a lot of talent around him. Even though he punts in the 33-yard line, I still think Matt Rule is a pretty good coach. <laughs> I do, too. They look, they look like a playoff team today to me. They got a short week in Houston next week. They should be able to beat the Texans. I mean, that, that team should be up three. Uh, that, should, that should be a 3-0 team next week. And if you have a model, I don't know how you possibly rank the Saints going forward. Like that, They are such a hard team to figure out right now. Our FPI had them as the most improved team after week one, and they might be the lead, they might be the, the team to regress the most after week two. I mean, it could be a case of they, they are who we thought they were before the season, but it's also hard to know, too, because you mentioned the, the hurricane, but I think that with this game, the, the sheer amount of coaches they had on the COVID list who weren't allowed to be there, that also could have had an issue, uh, played a role with them struggling today. So, Well, it has to, to a certain extent. That's why you have coached. I mean, you can't, no one can say that, not that you, I'm just, I'm not attacking you, but just think about it. They had 13 coaches, six on the offensive side of the ball uh, that were unavailable. So, I mean, by saying that doesn't matter, meaning then why are they on the staff, right? Like they have to matter to a certain, just to what degree is the question. And one other thing too, to show the variance of the Saints, I looked this up earlier today. So the Saints won, week, the Saints blew out the Packers as an underdog in week one. They got blown out uh, on Sunday as a favorite. They are the first team in the Super Bowl era within their first two weeks of the season to lose one game by at least 17 points as a favorite and to lose another game by at least 17 points. Or sorry, to win one game by at least 17 points as an underdog and to lose another game by at least 17 points as a favorite. So good luck trying to figure out the Saints going forward. And they got the Patriots next week, which looks like an under game on paper, but the total reflects the. And you already whet our appetite with the Panthers talking about that Thursday night, high profile, really must see TV. Panthers and Texans, so that should be a doozy. Hey, we thought Washington and the Giants would be a terrible game last Thursday, and that was one of the better games this week. We knew it would be competitive, though. I mean, this could be competitive, but this is going to be bad football, yeah, uh, at right. least with the Texan side of things. That's a fair point. It was a, it was an ugly but fun watch on last Thursday. Uh, Giants also played much better than I thought they would. Last game of the morning slate, I saved the Jets for you. All right, so every time I looked up, there was another interception. I think at one point he had thrown three passes and had three picks. Is that accurate? Because I know it was two for two to begin with. I think you're thinking of Joe Burrow. Joe, Joe Burrow at one point threw three picks in three passes in a row. Zach Wilson only went back-to-back -back interceptions. Ah. His first 
His first two passes of the game were both picked off. He ended up throwing three picks in the first half, another pick early in the third quarter. I mean, the, the margin for error with the Jets is already very slim, and you put four interceptions on the board in the first two and a half quarters. They, they don't really have that much of a chance to win. I mean, if you take out the interceptions, the Jets were in the game, if you, you could even really say that. They actually outgained by the Patriots by 76 yards. Sure, some of that was garbage time, but the Jets were able to run the ball pretty well. The problem is every time they tried to throw it, like it was, it was really rough watching Zach Wilson, especially in the first half of that game. Well, and Wilson had some nice plays, at least in fourth quarter. He did in garbage time, but it comes down to Belichick. And the old Sam Darnold quote, I believe it was Monday night, I'm seeing ghosts. Yeah, Belichick can do that till. What's that? They actually asked Zach Wilson after the game if he was seeing ghosts, and he laughed it off and said no. Uh, to, to your point about Bill Belichick against rookie quarterbacks, that's obviously a big narrative going in. That's the touchdown interception ratio. I think it was like 27 to 41, I believe I saw on the telecast. I don't have that number in front of me, but when you include uh, Wilson today um, and the last 20 seasons, Belichick is 15 and 12 against the spread against rookie quarterbacks, which honestly, when I went to look up that stat, I thought it would be like, you know, 17 and eight, something like that. So 15 and 12 is a little uh, tighter than I thought it would be. Even in the, and if you look at the first nine weeks of the season, which is, obviously, you know, first half of the season, which, you know, kind of an arbitrary cutoff, but the rookie quarterbacks were actually uh, nine and two against the spread against Belichick uh, really? until today. So that was kind of a weird stat that I looked up uh, to try to, I was trying to look up to show how good Belichick was against rookie quarterbacks. And I ended up coming up with an op- a sh- stat showing the opposite. Yeah, it's funny. I had a graphic today because I had the under was one of my plays for daily wager today. And it was because Belichick QBR of 37 rookie QBs of the last decade against Belichick. So not great, Bob. Bob. All right, let's go to the afternoon. Some exciting finishes for sure. We'll talk about the dud first, even though it was an exciting finish from an ATS standpoint. Falcons and Bucks, popular eliminator choice. Falcons were there covering after a nice little comeback. And then the tipped pick six at the line of scrimmage, I believe it was, for Matt Ryan. And then it was just more Bucks beat down late. 48 points. I think they've scored at least 30 in nine straight games uh, the Bucks have. Yeah, they're the first team in NFL history to win nine straight games and score at least thirty points in all of them. So that's they've been on a uh, they've been on a tear recently, and that's that's one way to show it for sure. I mean, Edwards had two pick sixes in the final eight minutes of the game to put that game on ice. It was crazy. And by the way, the books put out a live line late in this one that was really yummy. So I, I did that was the one thing I did do well on that when Josh Rosen was in. There was a live line. Uh, Cardinals Vikings. I unfortunately think Mike Zimmer's days are numbered, even though his team did everything to win, but just the kick was missed. And last week we know what happened, the, uh, the Dalvin Cook fumble. But this was a, a, such a fun game. Back and forth, um, crazy interception. I mean, just crazy turnovers. Kyler Murray forced a couple throws, but ultimately Arizona hangs on 34-33, wins 2-0. Sorry, improves the 2-0, duh, wins 34-33. But the Vikes kind of snake bit, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, Mike Zimmer at home, or this was a road game, but Mike Zimmer used to be a guy that you like to back, especially as a favorite, especially at home. I mean, this was a road dog spot, uh, and that line moved up from the opening line as well. But uh, I was pretty impressed with the Vikings offense, even though it seemed like every time I would look up, Dalvin Cook would be limping off the field or look like he was banged up, but he kept playing. He got 22 carries. Uh, A shame for Minnesota they couldn't get that win. Arizona's offense, though, they looked – they look really sharp right now. Kyler Murray with 400 yards passing, another 31 on the ground, but he did have two picks. 
Yeah, he forces some throws sometimes. No doubt about that. We'll see how the Vikings fare when they return home. They started the year, obviously, at Cincinnati, at Arizona. So maybe some home cooking and just a home crowd because I've been in uh, – now I was in the old stadium, but um, it's pretty pretty loud in there. Titans-Seahawks, we already touched on it. Great comeback. You mentioned the uh, 9-1 to the live line. Very surprised Russell Wilson and company blew this game. They usually protect leads and make all those plays down the stretch. So you really can't quantify. It's just sort of like, uh, yeah, it sounds fluky and you expect regression, but he makes them every single time, but not this time. So the Titans come back. Many were thinking they should have gone for two late. I thought they would as well. It was 30 seconds ago. Vrabel had done it in London a couple years ago, but that was about 10 seconds to go. So 30 thought maybe Russell Wilson with a couple timeouts could even get. So it's remember it's the go ahead two point conversion, not the winning. You go he went for the he went for the lead. He didn't go for the win when you go for these two point conversions with like 2 minutes to go. So just got to remember that that's part of the equation, which is probably why he went for it in London when it was only 10 seconds left. He, that's going for the win. Much like at the end of the half, right? When you're deciding on the goal line to go for it, part of that decision-making process at the other points of the game is you're pinning the opponent on their own one-yard line. So it's really you're likely to get the ball back around midfield. So that's part of it. Now, at the end of the first half, most teams take the points because you don't have that benefit of maybe it can still get seven if I'm unsuccessful, fourth and goal on the one, something like that, because you go to halftime. In this case, when you roll the dice and go for it, you're factoring in only a 10-minute overtime, ties, all that stuff. Maybe late in the season, a tie helps your playoff chances. Who knows? But you're just remember, you're going for the lead when it's like a minute and a half. You're not going for the win. And I hear it all the time in college. You're going for the win. No. You're only going for the win when there's like 30 seconds or less, that kind of stuff. I do think it's a little bit different with the extra point move back because the expected points for getting a two-point conversion, it's usually like 47 48%. The few, basically, the expected points for going for two and the expected points for going for the extra point are pretty much identical. So in a spot like that, when you're on the road in Seattle, a game you're not supposed to win, you have all the momentum on your side, you probably think your offense is better than their defense. I was a little surprised he didn't go for two, but hey, it worked out for them in the end. I was too. I, I, I was as well. I thought Vrabel would be the guy, but then again, he punched last year in the playoffs on like the 42-yard line. So The other thing, too, with the Titans, too, is they've had a lot of kicker issues this year. They went through a lot of different kickers in training camp. Sam yeah. Dickett was cut by the Jets, ended up winning that job, that he gets hurt. So Randy Bullock was their, their uh, guy this time around. But, hey, he made the kick for them in overtime and that extra point. So good for the Titans. The high-profile game in the afternoon slot is the last one we'll discuss here. Cowboys-Chargers. So Dallas gets the win I thought it was a very important win for Dallas coming home 0-2 would be kind of discouraging but be okay because you lost both on the road but coming home one and one after playing the defending champs to the final buzzer and then beating the Chargers in their house Cowboys fans should have some optimism here and obviously the division component plays a role but I think Cowboys fans should be feeling pretty good about this win and after a shootout in the first half or at least first quarter just total 12 points in the second half six apiece and the Cowboys, 56-yarder, uh, Zerline makes it after the Chargers kind of shot themselves in the foot. A lot of penalties for the Chargers, but ultimately the Cowboys uh, won out. Yeah, I know that was one of the more popular overbets of the day. Uh, that was one of the highest totals of the day. People look at it on paper. The Cowboys, they're they have one of the worst defenses on paper. Demarcus Lawrence gets hurt. They move Micah Parsons to defensive end for this game, their rookie first-round linebacker, who actually played very well at defensive end. But uh, – at halftime, you think that, all right, you know, it's 14-11 at halftime. You're kind of trending toward overlooking good. But then the, the scoring just completely stopped in the second half. It didn't hurt. didn't help the over that uh, the Chargers had two touchdowns taken away by penalty. To your point on the referees making their, their, uh, 
making their whistles heard throughout the throughout the day. That was that's a pretty rough beat for overbetters having two touchdowns in the second half taken off the board. And then of course you have the all-time coaching move of Mike McCarthy playing for a 56-yard field goal when you have a timeout left and more than enough time to run one, maybe even two more plays to try to get closer. But Greg Zerline, who was shaky in week one, ends up hitting the game-winning 56-yarder. McCarthy's so lost out there. They're winning despite him. I mean, it really is. Kellen Moore's done a nice job with the play calling from what I can see and what I can tell. McCarthy just botching the timeout. I mean, what's he there for, right? Like, he's just messes things up left and right. I, I don't know. I, I'm off. Yeah. By the way, you mentioned you mentioned that halftime score in terms of scoregami, a piece recently by Mina Kimes. First time ever, ever in NFL history that we had a first-half score of 14 to 11. Gotta love the score guy. Ran, ran, random, but we're, little fu- little fun fact for you. Yeah, I thought we had a couple weird scores today. I don't think any of them hit Scorigami. I was trying to wonder if we had like a 17 to 11, which we had in the Eagles 49ers game. But uh, no, I don't believe we had any Scorigamis for the final score. Uh, a couple other things with that game, too. Like, it was just every Chargers game for the last two decades has basically been the same thing. Going right down the wire <laughs> and someone's hitting a field goal at the buzzer and, and it either goes in or it doesn't. The Chargers win or they don't. It just seems like every Chargers game comes right down the wire with a field goal. And from a fantasy perspective and from a real-life perspective, I was pretty happy to see the Cowboys use Tony Pollard the way they did. I mean, you look at Ezekiel Elliott, obviously he's the bigger name. He's got the bigger contract. But since Tony Pollard's been entered the league, he has been much more efficient than Zeke Elliott when he's gotten the opportunity. Obviously, he hasn't gotten that big of an opportunity until uh, I think I think Zeke missed one game last year. But Pollard today, he got, what, 13 carries, 109 yards, and a touchdown. That, Pollard looked really explosive today, and he adds another element to that Cowboys offense to make them even more explosive. It's funny you used the word explosive. That was the word I was getting ready to say. He just kind of jumped off the screen watching him and uh, get to the get to the edges, and he was really effective. Although Zeke was effective, too, in that opening loss. Uh, he picked up a lot of blitzers against Tampa and did his part. Obviously, the stats weren't there, but Zeke's played well, too. But obviously, this league, especially now that there's a 17th game in the regular season, you do need multiple, multiple running backs. One other thing I was curious about the Chargers and with the Raiders, too, especially the Chargers, is, you know, we saw that game. We saw how many Cowboys fans were at SoFi Stadium. Do you – factor that into your handicapping at all is whether a team like the chargers will really have that home field advantage because they have so many visiting fans coming in i kind of wonder if the raiders and vegas will be the same thing because that's such a popular ticket for visiting fans do you factor that into your handicapping at all it's a good question i was actually asked it this morning on countdown to kickoff and just talking to odds makers they all made fun of me because i said this line i'm about to say well we all remember growing up we heard home field advantage is worth three points and they alerted me that a lot of kids didn't grow up talking about point spreads, but but I did. So anyways, going back to the beginning of my time, I always heard three points is for home field advantage. It's not the case, uh, really. Obviously, it depends on key numbers, right? Going from 10 to 11 and a half, much different than going from three to four and a half. But in general, because of advanced travel and technology, because of the communication between quarterback and coach, and just that quarterbacks are more conditioned and for environments from college stuff, that's part of it that it was exaggerated too much. I mean, earlier at the top of this podcast, you mentioned road dogs, 13 and four. I mean, it's just, it's exaggerated how much home field advantage is worth. And we did this last year with no fans talking to odds makers and statistics. So over the last five to 10 years, the home field advantage is kind of exaggerated like going back to the Legion of Boom days, right? Basically, all these home court and home field advantages 
they're always commensurate with really good teams. So, yes, the Seahawks had awesome records at home during their run where they won at least one playoff game every year and even won a Super Bowl and went to another one. Go figure, their home field advantage, not as significant when they weren't that good. And it's, it goes back to the Thunder when they had the the, the, the young big three with Harden, uh, Westbrook, and Durant, even Ibaka. Like, they, they were awesome at home, and then that wasn't the case. So as much as we want to put it up like, oh, it's tough to play in the Superdome. Yeah, it's tough to play in the Superdome when they have a Super Bowl contender. But when they're bad, it's not that hard. So a lot of times, it's like 0.8 to 1.2 is basically what I've been told. So when you saw the Chargers, three. Now, obviously, altitude is significant. Um, a, a place like the Superdome, a place like uh, the Metrodome or the old Metrodome or even the current uh, Vikings home, like those are different. Maybe weather as well. I, obviously, altitude I mentioned. Those are all part of it. But yeah, like Sophie, SoFi Stadium with like the Chargers who just moved from San Diego, that's like a zero, if not a negative. Yeah, and this goes hand in hand with the underdogs thing we were talking about earlier. But home teams are 12 and 19 against the spread this season. And if you look back two years ago, the last time we had like full fans at all these stadiums, home teams only cashed at 43.7% of the time. So less than 44% of the time, home teams covered the last time we had fans. So you're right. This. Taking road teams blindly, if, especially when you're not facing a team with a great home field advantage like we saw with Baltimore tonight, um, that that could be something to look forward to uh, in the future. Yeah, and I also just think teams kind of like, you know, rally around going on the road. I had a buddy who used to, used to always bet on the Cowboys playing away. When the, He said all the they'd read all the press clippings when they're home. They'd kind of look past their opponent. They're more comfortable dealing with their families. They're kind of – but when you're on the road, you're on a business trip. I mean, look, there's all sorts of crazy narratives we can apply. But there's something to be said about just going on the road and focusing solely on that. And you're getting probably inflated numbers too, right? Like that's where this comes down to. Road teams have done really well. And it's like literally 50-50 percentage-wise cover rate the last like 5, 10 years. So we all want to think it's it's impossible to go on the road and win. But, I mean, look what the Bucks did last year. Three straight road games, went to the Super Bowl. Now they ironically played a home game in the Super Bowl. But – and then going back to what I was talking about, some of the the road home thing, part of the home field advantage is just the convenience of sleeping in your own bed and not traveling and time change and whatnot. Um, it's just the convenience and comfort and routine component as opposed to everything going on with the crowd noise and everything like that. All right, my man, what do you got? You got an opinion on tomorrow night? I like the over. I think the I think Aaron Rodgers is going to have a field day against this horrendous Lions defense, which may in fact be the worst defense in the NFL, and hey, they, were, they played to the final whistle, as Niners backers learned a week ago. Um, so maybe some garbage time points from Detroit. Maybe I don't think the Packers, but 48 feels kind of low for a, a, a Green Bay offense that should light them up. Yeah, to be honest with you, I'm kind of staying away from this game because I don't know what to think of the Packers right now. The pa- I mean, they, they got blown out by the Saints who got blown out by the Panthers. So I, it's really hard to know exactly where this Packers team is right now. 11 is a pretty big number. Our FPI only makes it six and a half. But wow. I, I think, yeah, so I, FPI really likes the, the Lions in this one. But I don't know if I can back the Lions in the, against the Packers on Monday night with that with that home crowd, with, even though we just talked about home field not mattering all that much. And with Aaron Rodgers coming off a loss, that seems really dicey to me. So I think I'm just going to stay away from this one. Though the one thing I'll be rooting for is the Packers to win outright because they are my uh, primary sur- uh, survivor pick this week. So uh, the most of the top will in there. Mine too. 
The Browns were 31% selected in the Luminaire Challenge. They won. Buccaneers and Packers both 17%. Then the Broncos at 7%. The Steelers are only 1%, which surprised me. I know in some other pools. I know in circuits. Oh, I used them. Taking a little bit more. I mean, they would have been my fourth choice outside the double-digit favorites. But to me, there wasn't really any – there wasn't a real real reason to go outside the big three this week in, in terms of the three double-digit favorites for Eliminator. Real quick, you mentioned FBI only has a six and a half. What did they have the Lions last week at home to the Niners? Do you know that at the top of your head? I'm putting you in the hot seat. The Niners were 4.3-point favorites. So I was also a pr- pretty high on the Lions in that game, too. Or maybe more, at least low on the 49ers in that game. Or maybe so. just high on the Lions in general. Uh, apparently, the FBI likes the Lions roster, and, and the betting well, world is not. <laughs> I mean, we, might need to t- we, we might need to tweak that FBI model. They're, 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 they're the fourth-worst team in the NFL this week uh, behind oh. the Texans. Only ahead of the Texans, Jaguars, and Jets. So, I mean, that, that okay. seems pretty fair. I, I think that they That's were just fair. a little bit low on the Niners. The Niners, we have, uh, they have ninth in the, the FBI model. And this is all entering this week. Nothing's really nothing's changed. Uh, well, we'll, get- well, if they were four at home to the Niners, that's comparable to the Packers at Lambeau, six and a half. I mean, I would think it's ballpark. Yeah. So, I don't – that's surprising. Uh, I do I, – I took the 11 in my Pick'em League. But uh, one thing I will say, the Lions have covered seven of the last eight meetings – with the Packers. So they've had decent rosters. Obviously there's a different one without particularly Staff- Stafford there, but something to keep in mind, double yeah, digit no, no. dogs are fun on, on Monday night football. Yeah. And the Packers also after a straight up loss under Bat Lafleur, six and zero against the spreads, but this is also another one of those uh, underdog in a division game early in the season. So that hasn't mm. done that great this week, but over the last worlds colliding uh, worlds colliding for trends here. Yeah, exactly. But like you said, Detroit's covered seven of eight, but Aaron Rodgers at home is last 10 seasons, 43, 25 and two. So depending on what side you're on, you could pick a trend to help support your side no matter what. And that was 43, 25 and two ATS, right? Correct. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. All right, Mac, Daddy, thanks so much for uh, all the good crunching of the numbers and insight information from this busy week two Sunday. And I know our listeners appreciated it as well. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, I think the only stat that I wanted to bring up during here that I forgot to was the uh, Ryan Tannehill, another over coming oh. into the Titans. 22-5-1, the overs in the regular season, and Ryan Tannehill starts since he joined the team. That is pretty insane. It's like, what is that, two and a half seasons? Yeah. And that includes one of those non-overs, the five, is last week when they had 51 going into the fourth quarter and they had, what was the total, like 52 or 53? Yeah, scoreless fourth. So that is remarkable. Uh, You're right. I was writing that, and for some reason I got off it. Should go back to it. But all right, bud, thanks so much, and I will see you at work later this week. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) 